Good evening. Thank you very much for coming. We will continue to go over Srila Jiva Goswami's Paramatma Sandarbha. We're in the 61st Anucheda. The universe is non-different from Paramatma. There's an opening Anucheda here to introduce us to the subject. And then in five consecutive sections or Anuchedas, uh, Shujiva Goswami is going to quote from a discussion in the Bhagavatam between Narada Muni and uh, Maharaj Yudhisthira to establish in a logical manner, drawing from the verses of the Bhagavatam, uh, the fact that if we are really to break down the constituents of the Lord's material energy, if we look to anything within the material manifestation, if you have any vision of that entity, either your personal body or uh, uh, an inert object uh, within the material nature, that doesn't see that body or item in relationship to the Paramatma as a manifestation of his energy as the support of everything if you if you do not see it in that way then well there's just no other way to see it and Jiva Goswami is going to show us that through these verses in the Bhagavatam it's a very logical presentation and we won't be going completely into the depth of the logic that's in these verses of the Bhagavatam because it for, because it deals with such a a high level of logical argument that we're not really confronted with at this stage so we're kind of got to kind of going to go through it get a get an idea of what's going on but the purport, the commentary on one Anacheta alone is close to 15 pages, wherein Sachin Das Babaji goes into all the different schools of logic and how they look at objects in the world, just at how they look at objects and what the, how they conclude that an object can be perceived by the senses and how they arrive at conclusions regarding an object, whether you're seeing it as a physical thing or are you seeing it as an inference of something that are you projecting onto something, an idea that you have and therefore giving it a, a validity of existence, which in reality it doesn't really have. Because from Jiva's viewpoint and from the viewpoint of the Bhagavatam through the eyes of Jiva Goswami, if you're not seeing it as a manifestation of the energy of Paramatma, it's, it's an illusion. 
any other way. There's no other. Basically, Jiva comes up with the one simple conclusion. There's no other way to look at things in the world. And if you have another way of looking at anything in the world, whether it be a body or whether it be a substance, anything, if you don't see Paramatma's energy in it as the support of it, as the basis upon which you credit it with having any existence in reality, if you're not seeing it through the eyes of the Bhagavatam and through this logical conclusion that he's going to present based on the Bhagavatam, well, you're just an illusion. You're just in ignorance. And then, to add to that, there is the, the refuting of all other logical explanations because all these different schools, whether it be Nyaya itself, logic, whether it be Buddhism, whether it be Mimamsa, whether it be the Advaitin viewpoint, all of these, they hold no validity whatsoever. So it's, it's a quite in-depth analysis that's presented here. And since we're not confronted with the necessity of being able to argue against all these other schools of thought, and since, quite frankly, I have a hard time, and I've read this commentary three or four times, it's, it's, I'll read you a little of it just to give you an idea how, how of everything that's been terse that we've gone through so far in the Paramatmas and Dharma, this for me is, is the wow. most, most dense part of logic that's, that's being brought out. And you can see that, that someone that's fully schooled in all these different, you know, thought schools that exist in India, like Sachin Orion Das Babaji, who's, you know, this is, this is really his forte. This is where he shines. He can, he can actually take and, and even, I doubt if anybody could even have a, a, an argument from any of these schools could actually go up and argue against someone of his caliber who's schooled by Jiva, but also knows all their conclusions fully too. So uh, it's it's quite interesting. So we'll go with the beginning Anacheda and move forward. The universe is non-different from Paramatma. We can't see a difference. So the first verse is spoken by Brahma to Narada. My dear son, I have thus spoken to you in brief of Bhagavan, the source of the cosmos. Whatever exists, whether as cause, a sat, or as effect, sat, is not different from Sri Hari, who is yet different from everything else. So we may have some question of this use of the word sat. So satchitananda, sat means existence. So what's a sat? I mean, everything exists, right? So what's a sat? In the context of this verse being spoken from Brahma to Narada, a sat means you, we can't perceive it with our 
cognitive awareness. So in other words, when the Paramatma feature of the Supreme Lord wraps up the universe, when it's nothing's manifest, then it's a sat. There's no existence. The existence of the world as we know it, the existence of the jiva as we experience the world being a conscious particle of the Supreme, as we perceive that, when the world is in suspended animation, Karnadakshai Vishnu has not manifested the universes yet. When it's in that state, it's a sat. Nothing's there. doesn't mean there doesn't exist. It means it's not it's not within our cognitive awareness. So the word samasena means in brief should be read with the first half of the verse. I, Brahma, have spoken of this one, Bhagavan, only in brief. In what manner? To this he answers, by describing only Bhagavan's extrinsic, tatasta characteristics. Sat means the effect. In the verse, sat means the effect, i.e. the overt, stula, which includes all conscious entities, namely the impure, impure jiva, and inert objects, namely the universe. Then he, jiva goes on to explain what we just went over. Asat means the cause, i.e. the covert, sukshma which includes all conscious entities, namely the pure jiva and inert objects, that is, pradhan. In other words, unmanifested material nature and the jivas in their pure condition when they're not within the material realm. So, we're looking at the pure jiva, meaning there's no influence because of the suspension of the manifestation. So, they're in essence, pure. They're all with the Supreme Lord. He's drawn all the living entities back into his very existence as Karna Dakshai Vishnu, and he's drawn in all of all of their everything that they were involved with is suspended. So it's not that it's not there as we've discussed, but it's it's not manifest. So it's a thought. No existence. It has existence, but you can't perceive it. All this, whatever it may be, is not different from Hari because the covert is a form of his potency and the overt is its effect. So it's in him and then through his potency there's a manifestation. That is the import. Jiva Goswami goes on. This very point was stated by Bhagavan Hamsa, the Hams avatar, the swan, manifestation of the Supreme, when he was speaking with the Kumaras. The verse there is, whatever is perceived by the mind, speech, sight, or other senses is I alone. Understand this correctly. There is nothing other than I. So, again, we're, we're getting... This is this gets very much into a an awareness of the self, the true essence of the self. And if we can 
develop that awareness of our self as simply a manifestation of the energy of Paramatma, then that's going to that's going to nourish our spiritual growth. It's going to nourish our spiritual understanding to see ourselves as a spirit soul, as part of Paramatma. So this whole this whole exercise helps us develop a sense of spiritual being as opposed to material being. Although the universe is non-different from him, Bhagavan is pure and has no admixture of its defects. In order to show this, Brahma uses the word anyasmat, from him who is yet different from everything else to describe Bhagavan in the verse. Now we'll just review again, why is this so important? We went over this at the end of the last discussion. One of the major challenges faced by the Vedanta schools that accept Paramatma, that's us, we're in one of those schools, we accept Paramatma. So one of the major major problems is when the material world is manifested, it comes from God. Where else could it come from? It, it's not separate from him. So one of the main things for us to understand and for us to be able to explain is in manifesting the world, the Lord is not affected in any way. Our experience in the world as, as we experience it is if there is a cause that creates an effect, in order to manifest the effect, the cause is modified. So how do you get past that? We say the Lord is one. He's, 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 Brahman cannot be modified. It cannot be changed in any way. It cannot be influenced by any anything. So how can this, which we experience, the world, how can it be, how can it come from the Lord and the Lord himself not be modified? So the explanation goes on. That except uh, as both the Namita and Upadan cause of the universe is to defend against the notion that he undergoes modification in the act of creation. So no matter if we look to the instrumental causes within material nature, within Maya, and we've gone through a few of ways to look at the instrumental cause, Basically, predominant one of the predominant ideas is what? Well, time. Time is the factor that is the instrument that gets things going. Otherwise, well, there's no movement without time. Time is the medium through which action can take place. Or swabhav. There has to be some desire. So thinking, willing, feeling... So those are also accepted. Karma, Swavava. Jiva went through the Bhagavatam and pulled out all these different ways that the, in, the instrumental cause can be seen. And we've gone over those. And or the constituent cause. Not only is there the actionable part of Maya, the unconscious instrument through which 
actions take place within the material world, the Namita clause, there's also the Upadana clause. There's also the the particles, the the constituents, earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, and false ego. Mind, intelligence, and false ego certainly seem to have some consciousness. No. They're an instrument. Consciousness uses them. As already stated, for anything to be an upadan or a material cause, it must undergo some modification, vikara, to produce the effect. Otherwise, the cause and effect would be absolutely the same. If something's made from something else and there wasn't a difference between the source and what was produced, then why are we even talking about it? It's the same thing. So we can see in every instance where there is an effect that comes from a cause, there's a difference between the effect, between the cause and the effect. Well, how do we get around this idea when we look to, to, to the Vedas, to the Gaudiya Vaishnava viewpoint of Paramatma manifesting the whole material world? What, what's he using to manifest it? Where's it coming from? There's nothing else but him, so it has to be he is the source. Well, then he has to be have been modified. No, he's not modified. Well, then how do we explain that? The commentary goes on. According to the Satkaryavad, though the effect is accepted as being non-different from the cause, it is not exactly the same. Otherwise, it would not have a different name and function, as in the case of a thread and cloth. Sri Jiva, on the authority of the Bhagavat Purana, solves this riddle by showing that Paramatma is in that Paramatma has inconceivable potencies. Inconceivable. You're not going to fit it in your logical explanation. That doesn't mean you can't understand it. We can't understand it with fine discrimination. Fine discrimination what? Nourished by spiritual, by spirit, by the Swarup Shakti in, our, in this instance. We're coming from the school of Bhakti, so our understanding is, is nourished by the, the, highest, the highest spiritual nourishment. Now, there's also the Brahma bodies and they can make it so far with their own endeavor. But even for them to become completely successful, there has to be a pinch of bhakti. So a pinch of bhakti, a pinch of knowledge, the knowledge as seen uh, coming from a high, descending from a higher authority. So, solves the riddle by showing that Paramatma has inconceivable potencies by which a part of him undergoes modifications in the form of the universe without causing any change in his swarup or his essential nature. So, then we come to some strange analogies which give us an idea they don't really fully apply, but at least we can kind of see what do we talk about. We're like that ourselves. We have nails. They're coming 
they're not really of the nature of our living being, if we our living organism, but because they come out and they die, they're dead. The hairs they come out, they're dead. They're not. You could cut them off; you're not going to be affected by them. It's not a really a fully applicable explanation, but it gets us. It kind of gets us started. The Lord, just like our bodies, has this these byproducts that are from our living being. If we're, but they're not really living. So simply, the Lord has His material bahiranga shakti, material maya shakti, and He has His tatasta shakti, His conscious particles that are coming from Him. All right. So to the discussion at hand. These verses. It starts out simply, so we can we can grasp grasp these beginning concepts, and then. It gets into the very log, very deep logical explanations. So this is a discussion taking place between Narda and Yudhisthira. And the discussion was basically um, centered on an explanation to Yudhisthira of Dharma. This is from the seventh canto. So Jiva Goswami says in his, in his Anucheta 62, In five verses, Sri Narda describes to Yudhisthira the rationale behind the universe being non-different from Bhagavan. So he's already explained to him the implementation of Varnashram Dharma. So now he takes Yudhisthira one step further. He takes him deeper. Understanding Varnashram Dharma is fine as long as you are related to the body and the environment and the culture that you're in. Varnashram Dharma, it's good. It gets you so far. It's a, it's a firm, it gives you a, a foundation, a, 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 a ground upon which to walk and work in the world. But there's more to spiritual understanding than just being able to walk and work in the world and obtain what you desire. Varnashram handles all of that. All those scriptural injunctions, all these divisions of, of uh, you know, mankind, and different divisions of life, different divisions of society. They're for working in the world. But there's more than work, working in the world. There's a deeper understanding. Now, Narda's starting to introduce Yudhisthira to that in this section of the Bhagavatam. So he says, this is Narada speaking, so Jiva is quoting a verse from the seventh canto, what exists as the beginning and the end of living beings, as their exterior and interior, as superior and inferior states of being, as knowledge as well as the knowable, as the word and the object denoted by it, and as darkness as well as illumination is he himself. Krishna entails it all. He's, he, he's the basis. Now Jiva explains. He gives his own commentary to this. In this section, uh, we do not see Jiva using um, 
Sridhar Swami's commentary. He's giving his own commentary here. We've seen in other sections in the Sandarbhas where he's relied fully on Sridhar Swami's Bhagavatam commentary uh, to give his explanation. So here he's using his own. So Jiva says, That which exists, sat, namely that reality which is the cause of everything and which is the consciousness that is characterized as Paramatma, which is present in the beginning, or in other words, is the cause, and also in the end, and in other... I'm sorry, or in other words, as the limit of living beings, of their material bodies and so on, that reality alone and not anyone else manifests itself externally as the object of experience and internally as the experiencer, as superior and inferior states of being, as darkness and also as illumination. The reason for this, the reason for the distinctiveness of that supreme reality, which is Paramatma, is simply this. The reason for this is that other than him, Paramatma, no other entity, we have no experience ourselves, can be ascribed as self-manifesting. This is the intent of the above statement. So, we do not have, at least in our cognitive experience of the world, anything that has this kind of a potency, self-manifesting. Look, look around us and do we see anything that comes that doesn't come from a specific cause, a specific source. We don't even know where we came from. We don't even know who we came from, unless we ask our mother. She could say, the seed came from here. No one else could. So we don't even know our source. So there's no where is there an example of self-manifestation? Think deeply. Try to come to a conclusion based on your experience. Where do we find it? Any takers? A deity. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We'll accept that. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about Paramatma. The only experience we can have is by hearing of a deity manifesting or experiencing that directly, but understanding it's from the spiritual realm. So that's what's that's what what is the essence of the verses that are the verse that's being quoted here. A little bit of the commentary here. The five verses that form the core of the following discussion were spoken by the sage Narada the king Yudhisthira at the conclusion of his instructions on the principles of Vardashram Dharma. Nothing supports without nothing exists without the support of this reality, therefore there is no Vijatiya Veda, 
or difference of class between the absolute and any object of this universe. We can't really discern a distinction between between what is the word between the absolute and any object of the universe. We're not going to find anything within the material manifest, material creation that can't be traced back to the source of the universe. Not going to find, we're not going to find it. You can trace it back so far. I promise, where, where did I come from? What, what is the seat I'm on? I'm sitting on a lotus. And he, he couldn't find the source of himself through sensual, through any sensual exploration. It, it wasn't possible. He needed he needed some assistance. He needed guidance. He got very, very, very succinct guidance. Who would who would who would be able to perceive what was involved in those simple syllable syllables? Tapa, tapa. And Brahma knew. Oh, okay. I'm not going to figure it out myself. I'm going to have to go within or go without knowing what my source is. So, he meditated and it was manifest, but he couldn't get there other on his own volition. So we have to be able to trace back. Now, one thing it says here in the commentary just to bring us back to the misapplication of the Advaitin philosophy of Vivartavad. This denial of Vijatiya Beta, or that the, we, 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 we will find the likeness of the source of anything that we trace out in the Supreme, we will find it there, is different from that posited by the pro- proponents of Vivartavad for whom nothing other than Brahman already really exists, there being only the appearance of separate existence. So they don't say that there is a separate existence. They said it's an illusion. Everything's an illusion. But that's different than what's being said here. According to Satkaryavad, the objects of the world are not illusory. The cause is real and so too are the effects which are factual but not independent. So the question naturally arises, and this is where we're going in this discussion. So a question naturally arises. If nothing is different from Paramatma, we're coming to this conclusion, that's the part, nothing's different from Paramatma, then why do the objects of the world appear to be different? Right? Logical question. If nothing's different from Paramatma, well, why, why, why do we see a difference? Well, it's in our seeing. Now we're going to go further down the rabbit hole here, because now Jiva's going to take us to the point of, well, what actually are you seeing? What actually are you perceiving? 
How are you perceiving it? If you're perceiving it as separate from Paramatma, then what good is your vision? Now remember, those four core verses spoken, you know, the four core verses which were the Bhagavatam as spoken to Brahma by Krishna himself. Where does he start that discussion? The first verse says what? If you see anything separate from me, that, that perceiving of separateness is my illusory energy. That's, so this is core to, to those core verses, the beginning of those core verses. That's where Brahma, you know, Brahma gets his instruction starting there. That's Maya. That's seeing. So we're going in, we're going, we're, we're, we're going into that same understanding, but from a different viewpoint. Jiva's taking us through it from a different viewpoint. But it's the same conclusion. So now to the 63rd Anacheta. So the 62nd, what was our basic point? The point is from the Bhagavatam verse. Everything that exists, what? What exists at the beginning and at the end of the living beings as either the internal or external, as superior or inferior states of being, as knowledge as well as the knowable, as the word and as the object denoted by it, as darkness as well as illumination. Well, it's all Krishna. That's simple. Okay. But I'm not perceiving it that way. So, how's it perceived? So, Anacheta 63 continues. Jiva says, Then how is it that the objects of perception appear to be completely different from him? Since it's all God, since everything's God, then why do things appear different? Like, all of you devotees appear different than God. And we're not in a Leela where, you know, Krishna's assumed all your forms <laughs> and all your personalities and all of your traits <laughs> perfectly and is presenting himself. <laughs> so, now that's some deep philosophy too. I mean, to go into the Brahma Vimohan Leela, how much is that? To, so... This kind of is giving us a, a view. Uh, uh, all these tattvas help us understand the the higher playfulness of the Supreme. He's playing out in such a way that these these this foundation, this conceptual orientation that we build, this abundant we build upon that to have to fully be in a position where we can understand the revelations of even Krishna's Leela. It's, it, you're not going to be able to enter deeply into those understandings unless you have this foundational knowledge. So, how is it that we're seeing a difference between everything in the world? Jeeva's asking us, what's, 
is asking a logical question for us on our behalf. He's saying, how is it that the objects of the world were not... It's not if it's all paramatma, I'm seeing something different. I'm seeing a couch, I'm seeing samadhi, I'm seeing, you know... So, what's wrong? Is it my vision? Is it that it's not paramatma? I mean, you just said it is paramatma, and God, it's everything, so... Jiva continues. In response to this, Sri Narada says, Just as a reflection, a boss is envisaged as a real thing, despite its being completely disproved logically, so also objects perceived by the senses are only imagined to be independent realities because this would be impossible to prove or demonstrate. That's from the 7th canto, 15th chapter, 58th verse. Now Jiva explains it. Just as a reflection and a boss, a reflection is envisaged envisioned, seen. I'm seeing a reflection of Bhakti Vasa in that Right, so, just as as a real thing. There she is. <laughs> Bhakti Ras. Despite its being completely disproved logically. I mean, it's, yeah. it's not her. So, okay. So also, objects perceived by the senses are only imagined to be independent realities. They're only imagined. You're only imagining you're seeing Bhakti Ras in the mirror. So, there's no independent existence of the reflected image. There's a, it's a reflection of a reality is what Narada is telling Yudhisthira Maharaj. And just that word even imaging, imagination, that you're imaging it. Yes, good. Because this would be impossible to prove or demonstrate. You're not going to be able to prove to me if I'm if I have any discrimination or logical understanding that that's her, that is not going to cook me breakfast in the morning. <laughs> okay, well, train it to cook, you know. <laughs> So Jiva explains, the word Advadita means that it is completely contradicted because it is contrary to rational argument. In other words, the idea that anything has independent existence has been disproven. So even though this is the case, all objects of sensory awareness are imagined by the spiritually unaware to be diverse independent objects. Just as an appearance, a boss, such as an, individ, 
such as the individual rays emanating from the sun or some other source of light, is envisaged, smrita, by children or those of undeveloped discrimination as independent entities because they are seen to give off their own light. So if the sun's coming in the window and there's a reflection on the wall of sunlight, we've seen, you know, some sunlight on the wall. If we're thinking that's the source of the illumination because we don't have developed knowledge, we're young, we're inexperienced, we're going to take that as a, as a source of illumination. It's not. Any, pers- any person with fine discrimination knows the source of the illumination is the sun. It's not the reflection that's coming against the glass in the window and source of illumination over there. But such perception does not arise from the vision of reality because it is impossible to describe sensory objects as independent of Paramatma. Now we're going to go into some deeper things, but we'll go over just the end of this, a couple things in the commentary, and we'll dive deeper next discussion. (laughs) This is because the spiritually unaware cannot perceive the presence of Paramatma in them. A reflection of sunlight onto a wall cannot exist without the sun. Only an ignorant person would consider a reflection to be independent of its source. Nature, however, is not self-existent or self-born. These understandings are given simply in Bhagavad Gita by Krishna in his discourse with Arjuna uh, from the seventh chapter. Aham Kritsnasya Jagata. I am the original and I am the origin and dissolution of the entire cosmos. And also in the seventh chapter, Vasudeva Sarvamiti Samahatma Sadurlaba. One who ex- perceives that Vasudeva is everything is a great being and extremely rare. Narda will go on to unpack it more for you to steer. And I'll read just the verse, which is the primary praman, and then we'll we can see how how deep the discussion is going to take us. So Narda continues in the same vein in the next two verses. Now remember, this is a different translation than you're going to find in the Bhaktivedanta translation of this these same verses from the Bhagavatam. The sadhu it will translate just like we have the you know Atmaramas Atmarama verse translated how many times by Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu? I'll give you sixty four explanations and then again another sixty explanations. So I don't remember what I said to what was it, Sarvabhoma? Mm-hmm. And then Sanatan said, Well could you explain to me? Tell me I heard you gave nice explanations of the Atmarama verse to to Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya, could I have, could I hear those explanations? Lord Chaitanya, I don't remember what I said exactly, but I can give you some explanations if you want to hear. So he again gave some other explanation. So every verse, according to the, according to the necessity, and the, and the deepness can be translated differently. So we'll find this uh, translation a little different 
This is from the seventh canto, fifteenth chapter. The mental representation, chaya, of perceptible objects. The mental representation. In other words, what we see, we present to ourselves based on our mental conceptions, our impressions, what we've experienced before we project into what we experience now. As single independent units composed of the elements such as earth and so on is indeed neither the aggregate of those elements nor their compound nor even their modification since the representational whole is neither distinct from its constitutive parts, nor is it combined with them through the relation of inheritance. Hence, it is false. This is going to be unpacked. All these different philosophies are going to be seen where some look, some look upon a perception, a perceived object or a perceived body as an aggregate of parts. Some look on it as, uh, what, uh, a compound of, of smaller parts. Some look at it, at it as a, a, a modification of something else. All these kinds, all these mental approaches to an understanding of what is perceived within the world, they're all false. Now, this commentary goes on and on and on. I mean, there's pages here of looking at it from all these different viewpoints and then looking at all the schools of thought that embrace these different viewpoints and looking into the general conceptions that those schools hold and how they explain the the realities. I mean, imagine a culture where people in the culture sit around and think about the fact that, well, we're all seeing the table. How is that we're seeing this? Is it a bunch of little particles put together so therefore it's a com- it's, it's 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 a combi- it's a combination of of atoms of particles of earth and therefore we're perceiving it as a bunch of particles or we're- so all these different ways of looking things Nard is telling you to steer by- they're all false that's not the way you look at them that is not going to give you to the that is not going to bring you to the reality of perception within the material world this is the way you look so this is the progress that we're going to go through here to some extent i'll stop there for this evening any questions so um if the <coughs> the sense objects and the senses are both manifest from a Paramatma. Um, 
and who's I don't know who's seeing <laughs> the and the so how it, I don't know how's I don't know what are you actually seeing that if they're if they're both manifest from paramatma mm-hmm. sense objects and senses then what's actually being seen I don't know it's, it's who's seeing and what are they seeing? <laughs> right. So that's that's basically what Jiva's Jiva's revealing to us gradually in this section of the Paramatma Sandarva. There's three main uh, main subjects presented in the Paramatma Sandarva. Uh, Paramatma himself as uh, the supreme, who who the imminent self within the universe that that aspect of the Supreme Lord who arranges for the material manifestation through Karna Dakshai Vishnu, uh, Garbha Dakshai Vishnu, Kashira Dakshai Vishnu. So that's all explained. And then also we have, we had a very deep explanation up to this point of what is the jiva and what are the intrinsic qualities of the jiva. And now we're looking at what is the what is Maya Shakti, the Bahiranga Shakti? So Tatasta Shakti, Bahiranga Shakti. So we had these three, you know, these three manifestations. Uh, quite simply, uh, Srila Prabhupada used to say the internal, the external, and the marginal potencies of the Supreme. So your question is what exactly is seeing? Well, what is seeing is, is the internal potency. The supreme, but the supreme is manifested also in a marginal potency, the jiva, which is also conscious. In describing the the nature of the jiva, it's already been pointed out that the jiva is an observer of the field of activities. So the observer of the field is both paramatma and the jiva. That's the observer, is both of those. But in his explanation... In the Paramatma Sandarbha, Jiva Goswami explained that the primary observer of the field is Paramatma because he sees everything perfectly in all circumstance. He's completely aware of the field of activity. Now, the, the Jiva, the, the, the infinitesimal particle, is also a Purusha to some extent, and he's also Shetrajna. He's also an observer of the field, the Shetra. Both are observing the field of activity. One is observing comprehensively, Samasti, fully observing, and one is observing fragmentally. Both are observing. We, we come back to the comprehensive understanding of the philosophy is Achinta, Beta, Beta, Tattva. Inconceivably, simultaneously, one and different. So inconceivably, simultaneously, both aspects of the Supreme are observing the field. Does that help? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can, we can go on. <laughs> the impressions that we get for seeing reality. Is that something that 
you could train a child to see differently, or is that something that they just you you just come in with that impressions? Well, impressions are they're unlimited. Can you train? Yes, you can certainly train, but I mean, what impressions? How to, how to see reality well you acquire knowledge we're acquiring knowledge the, we can we can look at, there's so many schools of thought and so many in these different schools they, they all arrive at a different conclusion what we're being presented with is the conclusion based on the, the Bhagavatam which we consider the highest source of knowledge. So that was in the Tatvasandarva. If you're looking for knowledge, where can you look and, and trust? Where can you put your trust, your faith in the knowledge you're receiving? Well, Jiva Goswami said, well, you can't place it in your senses. They're imperfect. You become illusioned. You make mistakes. Don't put your trust there. And don't put your trust in anything that's based on empirical observation. Even if somebody else is observing, and you may say, well, they have a bigger brain than I do, but still, they are still subject to these defects. So now we have to go, well, is there a source of knowledge from which we could acquire reliable information and trustworthy knowledge that has no defect? Jiva says, well, not in this world. You're not going to find it. But there is descending knowledge. Now, let's look to descending knowledge. Well, we call that the Veda. But the Vedas are vast. They have so much information in so many different books. There's the Vedas proper, there's the Vedanta Sutra, there's the Puranas, there's the Upanishads, there's the Itihashas. Where do I find the best part of the Vedas? Well, we have our ideas on that. <laughs> different schools of thought have different ideas. But Jiva, in the Tatvasandarbha, he said, well, let's look at all that different Vedic knowledge. And he arrived at the conclusion and proves it shastrically that the mature commentary on the Vedanta Sutra, which gives the conclusion of all the Vedas, is Srimad Bhagavatam. It stands head and shoulders above the rest. It is the scripture around which all other scriptures revolve. Even all the other Puranas point to the, to the Bhagavat Purana. So if you look deeply in Scripture, you can arrive at no other conclusion. So if you want knowledge, that's where it is. So I don't know if that answers your question. Can you mold? Yeah, you could mold. You sit at the feet of somebody that really knows. If you want to enter into any one of these schools, there's experts. But if you want to enter into the school of bhakti, we also have our experts, we also have our opinion, we also have our scripture, our bhakti shastras, and, and we also have a logician like Jiva Goswami to, to, to give us conclusions and prove them demonstratively beyond any shadow of a doubt. This is, this is the conclusion. This is the right way to look at it. So if you accept the Goswamis, the Jiva Goswami, then you'll arrive at the bhakti conclusion and you'll become a, you know, a Rupanuga. You'll follow the conclusions of Rupa and you'll worship Rupa and Raghunath and try to enter into that understanding deeply. 
All right, we'll stop there for this evening. Thank you so much for your association.